Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is Saturday, May 14th. It is 8.54 a.m., and you might notice that it's just me. Griff is not going to be here with us this week. He is in Phoenix on some business. No big deal. He's out shilling the podcast, all the doctors. He said that the doctors are very interested in Bitcoin, so he is going to be having some good conversations with those guys this weekend. Excited to hear about how that goes um, hope he's got a good weekend plan with some good events, but we're still going to have some fun. Don't worry. We've still got great content to produce. We've got a guest today, another guest excited about guests, um, excited to bring more people on so that, uh, people can share what their world experience is so that we can, um, broaden our own perspectives and, you know, learn alongside the listeners and viewers of the show. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a fun week. Um, In the business, just tons of stuff is happening. Um, We've always got more and more projects coming. We're working on current things that are happening. But it was another great week of of getting things moving forward in the right direction. So that is good. Um, You know, typically right here, Griff and I do a lot of banter, talk about the week. But uh, we don't have that this week. So we are uh, we're going to jump directly into the market check here. Um, It's been a wild week in the markets. Um, we had uh, several more drop-offs. Um, let's see here. So some of the major news pieces, crypto crash, obviously, uh, signs of a market bottom, who knows? Uh, you know, let's let's check this out here. So Bitcoin over the past week, we see this huge fall down to 27. We were down to the mid to high 20s. Um, that's wild. I mean, when was the last time we've seen that here? Um Man, I mean, year to date, year. So it looks like it looks like last year, whenever this is J- July, looks like we were in that 20, 29, that high 20s range again. But man, uh, you know, just uh, full transparency, you know, I, I came in, I got into Bitcoin right about here, right about here. And we've dollar cost averaged all the way through. And uh, it's it's kind of exciting to see my first like real downturn, I guess. Um, you know, because you get in here and it's everything's exciting, everybody's excited, and then it falls off and people start to fall off, sell off. And uh, so I'm excited to to kind of be in my first little, um, I get, I don't know if you'd call this a bear market or a short term bear market, just a, a downward price swing. Um, excited to kind of to see that and, and kind of test myself and see, man, do I really believe in this? And thankfully, I do. I am excited about it still moving forward. Um, so for the listeners, if you're not viewing, uh, Bitcoin price right now today is sitting at twenty eight thousand eight hundred and fifty two dollars um, and ten cents. And let's check out the S and P five hundred over the week. They had another big crash, but then it came back up, recovered pretty well at the end of the week. Um, let's look here at a, at a six month chart. You know, obviously with with all the money printing that's happened over the past you know twenty seven months, uh, it's it's not shocking to see that the markets are just cruising, cruising, cruising. But uh, it looks like it looks like we may be entering that correction that I think we all expected to come at some point or another. Um, so you, if you guys are if you're if you're watching, you can kind of see what this uh, what this reduction is here, this pullback. But it looks like it was forty seven thousand or forty seven hundred here at this top in in late December, and uh, has pulled back and now sitting at four thousand and twenty three for the S and P five hundred. And, you know, the NASDAQ and, and the Dow Jones all look very similar as well. Um, I think the Dow Jones typically uh, does not have quite as much explosive growth. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, I don't really track the stock market that much at this point. Um, thankfully, we do have another guest coming on here in a couple of weeks that is a macro analyst. Um, and I'm excited to hear his thoughts on some of these things. Um, how about the VIX? The VIX, I'm sure, is uh, is pretty high right now in these times. Uh, if you're not aware, the VIX measures uh, volatility in the market. Uh, it's known on the streets as the fear index. So typically, you're going to see an exact inverse relationship between the S&P 500 and the VIX um, in that if the price is going down, the VIX is going up. And if the price is going up, the VIX is going down. So it makes sense to see that this is kind of high. Um, and man, crude oil, I've heard some stuff, uh, haven't done a ton of research on it myself, 
but I've heard that uh, there are three, um, I don't know if they're oil, I guess they're oil rigs, one off of, one right off the coast of Alaska and two in the Gulf of Mexico that are, uh, for lack of better terms, being shut down by the federal government. They're not being shut down. They're more so, they're not being released um, to new companies. And that's done on purpose for the purpose of, uh, we're moving to green energy, right? We're, we're going to go to green energy and we're going to force it upon the market, even though we're not ready for that right now. And uh, which is, you know, we, we continue to reduce the supply. We, we continue to reduce the, the new creation of oil. What's going to happen for the price? Exactly what we're looking at here. It's going to continue rising. Um, you know, it, it was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it went up to uh, in May, beginning of May. So the beginning, yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, went up to 110 and it was it was pretty scary. And then it fell back off real quick, went back down to 98. Um, and here we are sitting back at 110 again. So uh, who knows what's going to happen here? Uh, but, you know, this is the best time. I mean, whenever the markets are down, when the markets are down, the price is down. Um, it shakes the weak hands because, you know, a lot of people are probably in this and they don't know why they're in it. Uh, maybe they, they don't, maybe, maybe they're in it for the short-term gains uh, of, of dollars, right? Maybe they're trying to, they're trying to buy Bitcoin or, you know, whatever, whatever market you're looking at, they're trying to buy in and then trying to sell back off just to make some quick dollars. Um, and whenever the price tanks in, uh, in those types of situations, most people tend to sell for a loss. Um, and this is the best time to get to what we always like to get to with the market check. And that is that one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. It's the exact same that $1 is $1. The major difference here, though, is that the supply of dollars can be in increased by the Federal Reserve, by the banks that operate on fractional reserve banking, which I also learned just this week, just yesterday. And I, did, I don't know how I didn't know this, but in 2020, they suspended the reserve requirement for banks. You know, it used to be that one to 10 ratio where if you if you give uh, $100 on deposit to the bank, they can go out and lend $1,000, right? That's the one to 10 ratio. That's creation of $900 in the market. Obviously, that happens at a much larger scale. We think about global banks and uh, just lar larger cent centralized banks. Um, apparently, that, that reserve is no longer in effect as of 2020. Now, that's not going to be, I'm sure that that's not going to be into perpetuity. But either way, there's no reserve requirement for banks right now, which is crazy. But one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. The supply is capped and it is the hardest form of money we got today. And without further ado, I'm excited to get into something that's not exactly just Bitcoin. Um, you know, we... Uh, we like to we like to talk about all different kinds of things. Typically on the show, we are pursuing sound money, which means that we're typically talking about Bitcoin. But something that I think is going to be around forever, and I don't I don't think that that's a debatable topic, real estate. Real estate has been a store of value for ever, really. I mean, forever, right? And uh, but. At the same time, man, these these times that we're in right now economically, they create such a there's so many different elements to the to the game. And uh, it's not just as simple as, oh, I'm going to go buy this house or I'm going to buy this retail spot and then I'm going to rent it out and then I'll have cash flow and it'll pay for itself. It's not it's not just that. And I'm excited to have a guest on today. His name is Braden Sheik. He is with the Criterion Fund that is a really fun, really cool group of cats uh, that are that are doing commercial real estate investment here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm excited to have our guest on today. Braden, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Um, so you're with the Criterion Fund. How long have you been doing that? Um, where, where did you start? Like, where, where did you come from? How did you get to this point of you're, you're now a, a co-founder of a commercial real estate investment company. I mean, what, what leads you to that point? How did you get there? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really great long question. Um, <laughs> so we founded Criterion in September of 2019. Um, so we've had Criterion almost three years now, and we've had 
just a crazy amount of growth in in the short time frame. But leading up to that um, was really just at, at the bottom. My father-in-law um, had a commercial real estate company at the time, and they started flipping houses um, and and knew they wanted to buy you know, bigger real estate, commercial real estate, um, just kind of the idea of most people's idea of retirement is I'm going to buy a few houses, I'll rent them out. And and that's my money, you know, not necessarily a massive 401k, but a lot of people have rental houses. I mean, so many people have rental houses, but mm -hmm. they knew they wanted something bigger. So they flipped and flipped and flipped until they bought an apartment complex. And I, I think that failed horribly. And they had to go back and, and flip some more houses because it's a completely different game. You don't know which you're doing, you know, you make a different set of mistakes. And this was probably in 2008. So, I mean, there was, there was plenty of opportunity to flip houses and there's plenty of opportunity everywhere. Um, just in the general sense that, that so much had been lost, um, by, by that viewpoint, that's an opportunity. So they went and bought another apartment complex. And, and at this point, you know, it kind of started to work out and they, um, really just did the same idea you would think of a fix and flip. You know, you buy a crappy house, you fix it up, you maybe rent it, you maybe sell it immediately, you get your equity out or you get residual cash flow month over month over month. Same idea with the apartment complex. You buy a crappy apartment complex, you make it good, you can then increase the rents. It's then worth more because it's uh, you know, it the monthly cash flow of it is more. Yeah. Um, and you can hold that and enjoy the increased cash flow or you can sell it, pull your equity out and do it again. And this was around the time, you know, 2011, 2012. Um, I was still in high school at that point. I graduated in, in 14. Um, but these guys, you know, had started to, to figure out the multifamily game. This was before it got insanely popular and, and we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So um, being in the middle of the country, um, you have way less competition. It's not like California or Dallas or you know, Florida right now or New York, or, I mean, there, there's so many insane markets, Oklahoma, you could find apartment complex, you could find thousands of units for $30,000 a door that were, you know, six, seven, eight caps all, all day long. I mean, they made money, they made sense. They just, they, they looked rough. Um, so there's, again, plenty of opportunity to do that. And I, I started working for them in the summers um, in between high school, just picking up trash, adding value where I could, you know, trying to learn. Um, and these were sketchy apartment complexes. I mean, you being a, you know, a kid from a maybe more affluent suburb coming to these apartment complexes and working. I remember my first day I was cleaning up a glass window that somebody got shoved through and I was cleaning mace off a wall. And I was just like, do I need mace? You know, this, is, <laughs> this seems like maybe a dangerous environment. And it's like, no, no, no that's, that's a nighttime. You're good. <laughs> um, so, okay. And then it was just a matter of me being in the right place at the right time and, and looking for the next opportunity. You know, I had the mindset of wanting to do more. I had the mindset of, you know, give me more responsibility and eventually I'll add so much value to you that you'll have to pay me for that job because I'm still cheaper than somebody else who you could go out and hire to do that job because I still don't know what I'm doing. It's just, I could do it well enough to get it done. Let's say. Um, and, and just had, you know, went from working in the summers to working full time out, you know, doing make readies, doing trash outs, doing maintenance work, um, you know, leasing apartments, managing apartments, doing, doing payroll, you know, just kind of working my way up. And then it really got to the point where we were buying a lot of property. So, you know, they put me on the acquisitions team. I started to learn, you know, how all of that worked and um, worked through there. Um, all the way up until September of, of 2019, founding Criterion. That's uh, that's such a cool story. I've heard I've heard you tell that before. I think maybe once or twice. And it's uh, you know I, another another question I'd had here was you know why why commercial real estate? But it seems like you've you kind of found yourself connected at, at, at a at a pretty early on stage. Um, and but but the coolest part about that is you know you start at the bottom cleaning up the glass and cleaning up the mace. Yeah. Uh, and and got to see pretty much everything along the way. I mean, that I, I've heard, you know, a little bit more of the detail on some of the things, some of the other positions that you did along the way before starting your own company and and buying the deals yourself. And uh, I mean, what what has been, you know, especially like 
because you said you talked about when, when was it you said you started kind of working around in the in the industry doing different little things um i started working for them in the summers in like 2012 um, and okay. i went full-time in june of 2014. okay so so 2012 to to you know call it 2019 when you start criterion i mean that's a that's a pretty big bull run there in 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 just the economy uh, yeah overall, correct everything I mean, was everything, everything was going up yeah everything was going up i'm rents are increasing people are happy people are making money employment's low everything's going well in the economy and then uh well before we get there uh as you're as you're kind of climbing that ladder of sorts um what were some of the things you learned along the way in your growth as an investor and also as an eventual business owner what were what were the the values of you being able to see that process from the from cleaning up the the trash and cleaning up the mace and the glass all the way to being on the acquisitions team and eventually starting your company and buying the deals yourself yeah that's that's a great question i would say the, the the biggest value add as far as the job or the experience or the knowledge i learned was was kind of two part the the first one was being in control of the finances for some reason they let this you know like 19 20 year old kid be a signer on on millions of dollars worth of their accounts and run payroll and 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 you know i was running all accounts payable all accounts receivable i didn't have a day of college not a day of community college I had, I had nothing i had no accounting degree i was never an accountant my parents were never accountants i had no accounting whatsoever they you know taught me basic accounting because they were doing it before and that was a that was a massive i mean that was invaluable i tell anybody now if you're going to college to get a degree and you want to be a business owner you you should get an accounting degree or or some sort of finance degree Mm. understanding where your money is going and where the money is going and and the basis of 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 banking and lending and and credit cards and all of these things understanding where the money is and seeing it work at scale you know in practicality okay this is a mm. company you know that i could i could run i could own you know i could start a company like this i watch these guys do it here's how the accounting works i mean imagine whatever you want to do, if you could go to them and say, Hey, can I have access to your books? That would, that would help you a lot. You would see how it, how it works and what's necessary and what's required. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say the second part is a lot of, a lot of no's, you know, a lot of crappy deals. I underwrote so many deals. And what I did, um, was I would always check in with them six or 12 months later after I got the no. So if we went and got a deal under contract and for some reason we weren't competitive enough to close on it, or for some reason we didn't think it was a good deal and we backed out or, or whatever it was, if I loved that deal, I kept track of it and I monitored its performance to compare it to my underwriting because I was still learning how to model these deals. You know, did, did my rent growth make sense? Did, do these tenants stay? Um, you know, is this a good area of town? Is, is there new development in that area of town? Is there population growth? Is this market getting better? And you can kind of, test yourself so to speak because underwriting is 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 educated guessing you know what i mean yeah so that was invaluable going back and seeing these properties that that were winning along the way giving you the confidence back in your underwriting saying you know i assumed some good things there that ended up coming to fruition what uh you you mentioned underwriting a couple of times there what what exactly does that mean to you in the commercial real estate space because i'm not familiar yeah. So when we go buy, um, you know, we're buying typically strip centers with, you know, anywhere from like four or five tenants up to 30 tenants. Mm -hmm. So we have to go in and, and build this P&L of sorts. So each of these tenants is on a lease, just like a, a rental home would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, the major difference is their lease is significantly longer. It's three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, yeah. and, and because of that, that's, a contract, you know, that's that's contractual cash flow that you can read in that lease this month of this day, they are paying that amount of rent for the next 15 years. So then at that point, um, you just have to believe in their ability to honor that lease because these aren't publicly traded tenants. A lot of them are mom and pop stores. So you have to judge that performance with a lot of intuition. Um, you know, you go and meet them, you see how busy their business is, you see how clean it is, you see their ability to pay rent on time. And you can kind of say, okay, these tenants uh, belong in this demographic, they belong in this sort of shopping center, they have every reason to honor this lease. 
so you can build out a PL for the next, I mean, until their lease expires. Obviously, their leases aren't expiring at the same time. So you can kind of stagger that and you have to assume, you know, am I going to renew these leases? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And you are going to renew them and they're going to be for a, a higher amount. You know, how many times do you renew your lease at an apartment complex or at a house or any situation? The landlord says, yeah, I'll renew your lease, but it's an extra hundred dollars a month. It's an extra thousand dollars a month, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, more true in, in commercial here. So we're striving for three, four five, you know, up to 10% annual rent growth, um, which is almost just straight profitability when you think of it that way. Mm. So we're buying the center, the the strip center, not off the inherent value of the real estate. You know, how much it costs to build is almost irrelevant. We we look at that. But uh, at this point, it's about how much money does it produce? Because it's it's just a, my partner calls it a money machine. It's just a money machine at that point. Because yeah. when something is producing cash flow, you just have to do a little math formula. Okay, if I can get, you know, borrow 80% from a bank making four, the property's making 16, that's a that's immediate arbitrage right there. Mm-hmm. Then you're only putting 20% down in cash, let's say. So and and it could be spit it it tells you how much cash it spits out. So then it's just okay, well, I can I can put my money in here and it makes 15% a year in cash flow. And then if I keep compounding this rent growth, it's going to become more profitable over time. And then you're going to sell it on uh, an equity multiple of sorts, like a, like a business. In commercial real estate, we sell them on cap rates, which is just a, a totally unlevered return. An eight cap means if you bought it in cash, it would give you 8% a year in cash. A six cap, if you bought it in cash, it would give you 6% a year in cash. But mm. through leverage tools, you can get 15, 20%. On those deals. Yeah, okay. exactly. So underwriting is the process of going out and testing the profitability of that center. And there's financial underwriting, there's physical underwriting We're we're, I mean, we're doing inspections on the physical aspect of the building, because if we don't have a good physical building, the tenants won't stay and then we won't have a good financial uh, performance. So you have to keep sure. both in mind and balance both. But that's underwriting in my mind. So with that with that in mind you know i know that there's several major uh i don't know if you call them sectors or whatever of of commercial real estate and and remind me here so it's retail we've got office space we've got uh industrial what's what's the fourth one i'm missing there's five multifamily and then land okay multifamily and land okay so and uh obviously each one of those have, have different purposes there's different sectors for reasons right uh, yeah. But but you guys are primarily focusing on retail. Is that correct? Primarily on retail. Okay. We're getting more and more into development as time goes on. So I think we've done three or four of those projects now. And then uh, multifamily. Um, my partners are in a lot more than I am. But we, again, we started with multifamily. So it's something we're really comfortable with. We've just been priced out of it, I would say. Yeah. Well, and that's, that seems like that's kind of been, before I get to my other question, that, that seems like it's been kind of a common thread because industrial is super duper hot right now and yeah. multifamily is super duper hot right now. And I, I guess just investing principles, typically if you're buying when everybody wants to buy, it's not the best buy as far as, Correct. as far as amounts, right? And when everybody's selling and everybody thinks that, oh, it's not going to, this is, this isn't the best investment right now because it's, uh, it's too cheap or, you know, the values are falling, whatever it may be. That's typically the time to go in and, and buy cheap properties. Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah. You always make um, your money on the buy. So you guys, uh, I guess primarily focusing on, um, on retail then at this point, or, or just to focus on that piece with the underwriting piece in mind, what kinds of businesses are best for tenant spaces and what kinds of businesses make you a little nervous at night? Obviously, each each space is going to be a little different, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I think you have to look at the the relation of of money and and money at scale. The more money you you get, and I'm talking about other people, not myself. The more money other people get, the more safety they're going to require out of their investments, is what I would say. So when things are are going up and it's getting hot and it's popular, you'll see a lot of institutional capital deployed on something for that, just for the preservation of their capital. And the long-term, you know, upside that they can wait for, I would say, hmm. and it's it's similar in real estate because it's a very illiquid investment. 
you know, there, there's no active exchange um, that you can go buy and sell, you know, shares on. It, it's, it takes a long time to buy them. It takes a long time to sell them. Um, you, you typically have to have, you know, partners with high net worths to get the loans on these properties. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's a very high barrier to entry, but, um, to go back to your, your question, the tenants that, I mean, let me, let me finish the first part. The reason industrial and multifamily are doing so well is because of the safety that they, uh, you know, provide in investors' minds. And especially over the past two years, more than ever, you saw people pay their rent first, no matter what happened in the world as, as far as COVID. Rent was paid. If if it had to be, rent was paid. That was the first thing they were paying. And industrial is is just primary jobs. And primary jobs we saw as an economy were kept open because in the very nature of, of the job, it's primary. So both of those assets did extremely well because people were looking for a safe haven in commercial real estate to go invest in. But again, like you said, that priced a lot of people out. So we, we focused heavily on retail, which we think there is still a massive value um, for, and it provides a ton of yield for its its perceived um, risk factor of uh, you know Amazon shutting down the world. And I got to be honest, I, I love retail tenants because there, you can look at a, a few key indicators and feel relatively safe of that retail center. You can look at the general population in a one mile, a three mile and a five mile radius of that center. Those people are not going to move. And this idea that this shopping center is like on a hard corner of a hundred thousand homes is just going to be vacant and decrepit when the average income is, you know, $80,000 in that mile. And there's 53,000 cars a day driving by my center. The general economics should make it work just from Mm -hmm. that perspective. The amount of people buy my center. Those people make good money. My tenants have services that these people uh, need. And then uh, a highlight on that, there's service-based tenants. You know, you have nail salons. Amazon, last time I checked, they don't paint people's nails. You have uh, gyms, you have churches, you know, Amazon doesn't do gyms and churches. And there's, there's still so many things. You have pizza, you have massage parlors, you have, um, you know, all of these, these goods and services that people still have to go and do. And I I believe people still will go and do them for a a really long time. Yeah. You mentioned uh, real estate being illiquid, and the buying process being pretty long on the buying and selling side. Yeah. Uh, And we've kind of talked about this a little bit before. But what are your thoughts on the future of, you know, I guess title companies is probably the the big the big one. But I love this. How, how does blockchain technology uh, make this buying and selling process of real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, more efficient? I mean, what what do you think the landscape? Let's just speculate out into the future a little bit. I mean, yep. what do you think that? Because in my opinion, it seems like it seems like not just with real estate, but with the entire legacy financial system, that there are there are so many intermediaries that are built in because it had to be that way at one certain point. But now with technological innovations, i.e. the blockchain technology, there are ways that we can be more efficient with this that are going to have to change the previous ways that we've done business. Um, sure. so with that in mind, you're, you're in and out of the, the real estate market all the time. What are your thoughts on how blockchain technology could be integrated into that. Yeah. So I, I love talking about this. Um, thanks for bringing it up. But the the major thing I want to focus on is proof of ownership. And I think a lot of people really don't understand that. And it's probably because they don't own anything, let alone have to provide proof that they own it. So mm-hmm. the the biggest thing, you know, you can kind of envision in your mind is your car, right? You go buy a car. Most people have a car. You have to go and title that. You have to go to the DMV and you have to prove you own it with a, a bill of sale. You have to bring your ID, what have you. And then they give you a title and that piece of paper proves that you own that car. And when you go and sell the car, you have to take the title and you have to get it signed by a bunch of people. You have to get it notarized. You have to take it back to that title company. They have to do paperwork. They have to send it back to you. And and the fees for this, let's just think of it as gas. The fees for this process are insanely expensive. You go buy a new car, you're going to spend a thousand to thousands titling that car to prove that you own it, right? That's an, yeah. that's an easy concept. Yeah. A home is even more difficult and it's even more 
expensive. Um, we have the the luck of living in Oklahoma, which is one of two abstracting states left in the entire lower United 48. So um, because of that, we have a book, a paper book going back to the land run of our state documenting the proof of ownership. And that is just, I mean, it's, it's 2022 and we have, we have a paper book going back to the land run of our state providing analog, proof of ownership. Yeah. So everyone else has moved to technology, you know, and there's national title companies and national title companies just don't succeed in Oklahoma because um, of, of these books and the processes. And, and, you know, most places in the country, you can go offer to buy a house and, and in three to five days you can close, you can close in a day or two. I mean, it's just, you can provide proof uh, that you will own that and it's documented very fast, but in Oklahoma, it takes about a month. It takes about a month to work up the title mm. to buy a home. And that, um, you know, that dictates the, the home buying economy. But imagine if you could, and, and think about an NFT or something here, or think about something on the blockchain. Imagine that you could just, you know, transfer your home as easy as a text message. And, and that could be risky because of its convenience. So you, you know, there's safety protocols in place or, or whatever, mm -hmm. but that would, I mean, even if, if you compare it to, to gas fees, you know, on a, on a Bitcoin or Ethereum network, which people are complaining about right now, but anywhere else you're having to pay a, a gas fee by, you know, some human doing some job or paying some fee at the courthouse and it's thousands of dollars. It's, it's a, it's a big sum of money. So the idea that all of these people are, are buying these NFTs that have real physical value and assets attached to them. You know, I, I hold V friends and the physical value attached is we're going to VCon, which is Gary Vanderschuk's business conference next week. That's, that's yeah. a real physical value. It's a, it is a ticket into the conference. Mm -hmm. Um, so you could have the same thing. You could have an NFT that owns your home. You could have an NFT that owns your car. And when you go to sell your car, you transfer your NFT, your buddy, and, and it's immediate to, for him to prove that he owns it. Yeah. He gets pulled up. You, I mean, you pull it up like insurance on your phone. You you pull it up like anything. It's it's easy to prove you own it. And in commercial real estate, we're constantly going through the title process. And like I said, it, it takes a lot of time. You have to get surveys. You have to get title commitments. You have to get all of these things. And I'm not saying it would cut out all of them necessarily, but it would make uh, it would make it faster, and I think it would make it easier. Um, have you? Before I dive into this, because I don't want to dive into it if you're not super familiar, but um, are you familiar with the the proof of stake versus proof of work arguments as far no. as blockchains go? Okay. Not super comfortable with them, no. Um, I, I won't dive into that one then because that's if yeah, that, that one's kind of tough. Um, man, I I, uh, I agree with you. I think that, you know, it's it's kind of funny because the the crypto space. Um, is so difficult for for a lot of people to wrap their minds around and particularly the older people uh because there's not like this there's not much of a physical aspect to it right sure. um, and i think that it's going to be really exciting when we get to a point where certain things like 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 you're talking about v friends there's a physical benefit to owning that thing there's a there's a physical tangible good or service that's connected with owning that thing and that is yeah. going to the conference right or yeah. Um, utilizing the efficiencies of a blockchain to transfer ownership of your car or your home or your business even, or, you know, whatever, whatever property we're thinking about, whatever you have ownership over. I think that'll be really interesting looking into the future about how we can connect these, this thing that's not physical quite yet into the physical world. Because you know, it's kind of funny. There's there's been all this talk over the last you know couple of years about virtual reality, and you know we're gonna we're gonna have there, there, there's virtual real estate, and I'm not I haven't read into that stuff a whole lot um, because I'm pretty bullish on like real life. I'm bullish on people going out and having beers and having a good time and having a good you know meal together and going out and you know doing a hike out in nature and going to the lake and skiing and you know like. Things like things like that, I'm I'm much more bullish on than virtual reality. Um, yeah, so it'll be really cool to see how uh, these technologies can merge with our real world and how they can make this whole system more efficient. 
Um, you know, there's been there's been so much there's been so much FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt about the energy consumption of proof of work systems, which is proof of work is uh, is the validation mechanism that um, all the ma- almost all the major blockchains utilize. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum operate on that. Ethereum has been talking about for years switching to a proof of stake system. Um, there's all kinds of issues, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. But, um, you know, the, the, the fear, uncertainty and doubt about the energy consumption of the proof of work system is, is so funny because the, the system that we operate under today, whether it's buying and selling real estate with a super inefficient system to transfer ownership, or if it's the inefficiencies of running a million different uh, branches for a bank. Uh, just to hold, uh, you know, a thousand bucks in a bank account, you know, all the energy that is consumed from all of those branches all over the country, whether it's large banks, small banks, credit unions, the whole thing, everybody's included. And all of the energy that is consumed in, you know, the the data centers that actually store all of that data, um, all the, all the salaries that are paid to people to operate those systems that that's energy consumption. All of that is energy consumption. Um, whereas bitcoins um, or or Ethereum, whatever whatever we're thinking about here, uh, but bitcoins energy consumption is the the mining process, which is the verification of all the transactions that are happening on that blockchain. It's significantly more efficient, right? And it's funny because everybody's like, oh, you know, the the bitcoin mining process. Um, it takes a uh, it, it it's it's enough energy to run. Uh, I think like I, I forget the examples. I forget the countries, but it's like it consumes as much energy as Sweden, you know. And it's oh like it's like yeah, you know how much energy it costs to run the current financial system. Th- let's talk about the military industrial complex, you know, to protect the trade routes. How much does it? Uh, how much does it cost to 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 make those things happen? To make those things run? How many taxpayer dollars? How many? How many printed fake money dollars does it take to do that? You know, and it's like, so we're going to talk about this little thing over here. And you think that that's the issue. It's like people don't think instead of they think in addition to it's exactly. And and that stuff, it's just it's wild, man. It's it's so funny to think about those things. Um, so you, you've hit on a, on a couple of really interesting pieces. I, I want to keep pushing forward on on the real estate side. So. You know, I know that there's there's a few main key ways to make money in real estate. Um, and whenever I say make money, I, I'm thinking more so for myself. Uh, this is what I'm I'm pretty sure of, but I want you to clarify. Um, there's cash flow. Um, there is the equity position that you find yourself in, right? With you know, like you talked about, twenty uh, percent uh, down payment on an investment property. Well, that twenty percent, that's an immediate equity position. Plus, maybe you buy it. Maybe you buy it uh, at a discount, and it's appraised for a little bit more than what you bought it for. So your equity position is actually larger. So there's the equity side where where you're able to capture capital and and earn money there and earn capital there. But then there's also the debt paydown over time that widens that equity spread. Um, what are your thoughts on if you know expanding on that, clarifying some of those things on how do you make money with real estate? Yeah, that that is a great question. So we actually just did a, a podcast on how to make forty percent on your money in real estate, and it, it's it's a great episode. It and it fits in with this perfect. And I'll just briefly kind of summarize that. You've got you know the major points here. You've got cash flow, you've got leverage, depreciation, and appreciation, and and those compounded are just make it a money machine. So month over month, it's it's cash flow positive. You have income oh look at the hat hey if if you got yeah before you keep going uh, and i'll put it up down here at the bottom here in a second but go check out uh the uh the criterion how to invest in commercial real estate podcast it's on youtube all the major platforms it's really good i've, I've listened to several episodes and uh you know it's it's fun to see you guys that are in it every single day talk about some of those things so go check it out they've got some cool hats as well so yeah so uh, yeah, we we love we love real estate and we we love documenting talking about real estate. So this is this is perfect. 
Um, but you know, month over month, it's it's cash flow positive. You have income from your tenants, um, you have expenses, and it's cash flow positive. So you're you're making money every single month. A lot of um, stocks, a lot of things that people invest in don't pay them every single month. It doesn't pay the debt on that thing every month and pay them. And what we have, it not only pays all of the expenses associated with the property to keep it in good working order, it pays the debt for that um, asset and it pays us cash flow, which is, I mean, just insane. A lot of people don't look for that. I, I, we, we make it a rule in our family to not get debt on something unless it, unless what we're getting debt to buy doesn't pay for the debt and pay us in addition to the debt. We don't get debt. Those are the rules. It's gotta, it's gotta pay for itself and it's gotta pay me in, in addition for me taking the risk to get that debt. People should think like that. Um, the next one is, is leverage. This is another huge one with real estate. Um, uh, think of it as trading on margin. So a lot of people tell you not to trade on margin because uh, with the volatility, especially in crypto, if it goes down too much, they'll call it due because they're in such a risky position now because it could keep going down and then you could default that they sell it to cover the note and you lose everything. You lose more than everything. It sucks. In real estate, you can go and borrow you know, 70 all day long, but we can typically get up to 85% of the purchase price. We can get that from a bank at a, a relatively, I mean, almost a zero interest rate. I think um, we're closing on a deal last week and our interest rate was was 4.25% for 10 million bucks. And you can do a lot of things that generate more than 4.25%. And everything more than four and a quarter is coming into my pocket and it's not going into the banks. And, mm -hmm. and the bank, that's that's their job. That's that's how they make money because they're getting free money from somebody else and they're making a point or two lending it to me. And then I'm making so they don't care what I make. They just want a, a safe position. They can't lose money. Yeah. Um, so the ability, you know, when when you're talking about, you know, a potential three percent appreciation on a ten million dollar property, but you only put two million dollars down three percent on ten million is a lot. And you don't have to look at that as 3% on 10 million. You have to look at the number over 2 million because 2 million is your really your, your cash outlay there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one is, is depreciation. And I have to walk a lot of people through this because it's almost hard to believe, but real estate is such a tax, uh, tax favored investment class. Um, there, there are so many, not even loopholes, but they, they wrote it in favor of, of holding real estate. They want you to hold real estate. They want you to sell it every now and then. They, they, I mean, they, they love real estate, the IRS. And they'll let you defer your taxes uh, almost in, in perpetuity. So with depreciation, you're allowed to start writing off the, the usable wear and tear, let's say, of that property every single year, regardless of you actually having to fix those things. And even more than that, we get what's called an accelerated depreciation schedule. So instead of depreciating our real estate over, you know, 15 and a half years or 20 years or 27 years or whatever it is, we can go in and say, okay, a lot of these things have a usable life of way less than 27 and a half years. You think of a receptacle, you think of a light switch, you think of carpet, you think of, you know, paint and drywall, all of those things need touched up and repaired and replaced and, and yeah. given some love before 27 and a half years. So they go and they say, okay, based on that, you can depreciate a lot more of your property a lot faster. So we can buy a property and own it for two days of that fiscal year and technically lose millions of dollars that year uh, from depreciation. So yeah. think of it, if that property is cash flowing like it should, it paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax-free distributions because the property is losing money on paper from depreciation and depreciation recapture is capped at. I mean, 20 or 25%, which is, is pretty low. The, the next one I already kind of briefly touched on is uh, appreciation, which um, again, because of the leverage aspect of real estate, it is much higher than people give it credit for because they're just thinking of 3% or 4% or 2% on the total asset value. But what they really need to be thinking about is the appreciation compared to their down payment. Man, those are... 
Those are uh, really interesting. I, and I'm sure that the vast majority of people don't know those things. Um, being that those are the ways to make money or, you know, several ways, several different types of ways that you're, that are all happening kind of at the same time, right? And obviously they're all kind of happening at the same time, which is, which is really cool because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, instead of having, instead of having one income source, I've got seven. What, how many, how many things did you just list there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's five. five. Um, but yeah, it's, it's paying you monthly. You're paying the mortgage down monthly, which is tens of thousands of dollars. Increasing your equity position. Increasing your equity position. Yeah. The profitability of it is going up through inflation and, and rent increases. Yeah. And then because of that, the value is is going up because it's more profitable. Which is more equity. And then you're also in real time depreciating the value of that property which at, at, at some level offsets the cash flow you're pulling, correct? Correct. And at some point you're going to say, well, wait, Braden, you're going to depreciate it to zero because you hold it long enough. Then, then what do you do? Well, you can sell it and do a 1031 exchange. And the IRS says, as long as you buy another piece of real estate and you replace the total value of what you sold and the total debt amount of what you had, reinvigorating the economy, increasing property taxes, forcing somebody else to sell, forcing somebody else to buy. We'll let you defer the taxes until yeah. you sell that new asset. Yeah. So now you, I mean, you could have made $10 million and you don't have to pay taxes on any of that until you eventually sell it. Yeah. And then here's the other crazy thing that a lot of rich people do is they buy real estate solely for their kids because their kids get an immediate step up basis. So right now, if if your you know dad had some you know apartment complex and he depreciated it down to zero, he's theoretically got uh, and let's say it's a ten million dollar apartment complex. He's got a ten million dollar taxable liability there that's immediately passed on to you. So why you might think of that as a gift, you know you owe taxes on ten million dollars worth of gains, long term capital gains. That may be you know twenty twenty five percent on on that and the depreciation recapture, but or because. Or, yeah, now you get a step up basis. So yeah. when you inherit it, you inherit inherit it at a ten million dollar basis. So you yeah. you don't pay his taxable gain on that. And it's so that's you starting at okay. So then and then and then the the transfer of ownership there there is is there not um, is there not there's not a taxable event for transferring that ownership over. I mean, is that is that legitimately a loophole to to evade that tax consequence? Yeah, it's it's not evading. It's called step up. It's called a step up basis in real estate. You still have yeah. to pay an estate tax on the on the total value of the estate if you're eligible to that. But the mm -hmm. specific long term capital gain or depreciation recapture, yeah. you get a step up basis in and they they waive. It's beautiful. You know, we, we were talking uh, we were talking the other day um, about some of the tax benefits, um, not of real estate, but just of a business. Right. And uh, I mean, everything that you guys are paying for. Uh, that has something to do with the business, that is a write-off. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, people that are not in the know, people that don't understand those things, they look at they look at somebody writing off expenses in a business as, oh, you're, you're just not paying taxes. And it's like, no, I'm incentivized. And, and we, we've talked about multiple times, like how important incentive structures are. And if incentives, if incentive structures are not structured properly, then then everything starts going going haywire, right? And and you got to ask like why 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 are there tax incentives for real estate? Why are there tax incentives for families? Why are there tax incentives for businesses? It's because it produces in the economy, and when you produce in the economy, it stimulates the economy. It makes everything better. It provides more jobs. It provides more goods and services. That's good. And we want to incentivize that. And so it's, it's kind of funny. Like I, uh, th there are those, those negative terms like evade and not paying the tax consequence. Um, but it's, it's not evading, right? It's just, Hey, these are the rules of the game. I'm just playing this game the way that the rules are set, you know? Um, yeah. A lot of people got, got pissed at Donald Trump because of, of that same thing. You know, it, it, it is a very tax, favorable environment to not only own businesses, but real estate, especially. And that's why you see so many wealthy people owning real estate. And to me, that's just, you know, 
you see somebody driving a Ferrari and you, it's your dream in life to drive a Ferrari. Why aren't you going up to that guy and saying, Hey, that is a gorgeous car, my man. How, how did, how did you do that? What do you do? And, and can I come and work for you for free? Because I need, I need that car if that's my life's mission and you figured out a way to do it. And, yeah. and people just don't ask enough questions like that. Mm, I like that a lot for sure. Have you, have you, I'm sure you've seen the videos where the guy comes up and he slams his phone right in the person's face. Hey, Hey, what do you do for a living? You know, and it's, they, they talk and it's all people in like super nice cars or he'll go up to like the super nice houses, you know, and he's like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> but it's funny. Um, okay. Kind of switching gears here to maybe a couple of our last topics here. Um, we have been in some very strange times. I mean, it's, it's really amazing to see what you've done starting in 2019. I say amazing. This is, this, it's probably been a great time to start your business. Um, because it, I mean, COVID COVID's a bear, dude. It was, it's been, it's been extremely great, but we had no idea we were going to do this. We had absolutely no idea at all. We were trying to do maybe 10, $10 million a year worth of deals. And mm -hmm. that would, that would have been fantastic for us. So we're yeah. just extremely, we, we feel extremely fortunate for what we have. So we, we enter into this, into this, covid thing this covid thing happens I, I was in i was in the middle of new york city whenever all this stuff really started kicking up and, and what a place to be dude, i was like we were scared you know we were that it was like what's going on like we just there was just so much unknown we just there was like this thing from china or you know it was like it's coming here now it's here now and then then we heard our first case on campus and it was like what's what is going on you know like are yeah. we all gonna this guy die? gonna die yeah like are we are we gonna make it we're right in the middle of New York city. And we were like, they, they had, I, I was still in college at that point is my last semester. And uh, they said, Hey, we're going to go online for the rest of the semester. I was like, babe, we got to get out of here. Let's go home. Let's go back to Oklahoma. Let's go back to Tulsa. Let's go home in a place where we can be more free. And so we come back home and then COVID runs its course uh, over the next, you know, several years. And it feels like we're still at a point where it's, we're, we're still seeing the lingering effects. Thankfully, um, you know, I don't know. There, I think there are probably there are still places in the world. I mean, I don't know if you've seen what's going on in China right now, but that shit is crazy. Uh, you ought to go look that up. It's wild. Like they're they are. It's not good. Isn't he trying to go for another term and like go to some, you know, by part? I, I don't know, man. It seems nuts. It's crazy. Um, so there's obviously still things like that happening in other parts of the world. And I think that there's still some certain states, uh, all the blue, there, there's some blue states that are still pushing those things. Uh, but thankfully, I mean, you can get on a plane, you can go anywhere without wearing masks. And yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard anything about, you know, uh, a vaccine getting jammed down my throat um, in the past. You know, I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I heard that. So it feels like that side of COVID is, is definitely starting to go away if it's not already. But yeah. uh, the economic things that took place during that time, we're obviously still seeing those right now. Um, we're seeing the, the negative consequences and the positive consequences. Um, one of those positive consequences was that interest rate rates were uh, near zero, at zero, and negative at one point, which was great for people that wanted money for starting businesses, for growing and scaling businesses, for buying commercial real estate. Um, yeah. You know, you starting your business in that time where there was such low interest rates where you could go out and borrow money at really, really low rates. Um, what What are your thoughts now moving into a position where, where rates are coming back up? I mean, you've, you've uh, at some level, you've started your business in probably a really favorable time as far as uh, the cost of money goes. So yeah. moving forward in the next several years where we're expecting interest rates to continue increasing, what are you expecting as far as the turbulence in that? Um, you know, I, I think I think we've been busier than ever this year. We, we've doubled our portfolio since the beginning of the year, just in, in five months. And we're still mm -hmm. chasing so many deals and we have a closing a week for the next three weeks. So we're, we're buyers right now. And, and we think, you know, relative to where interest rates could be and have been, you know, in the past 20 to 50 years, where they're at now, we're not scared of, and we think deals can still be made. Um, I was talking with a, a broker friend, investor of mine, and um, he, he works for Stan Johnson company and they do 
four or five billion with a B worth of retail net lease transactions throughout the world. So they're selling all sorts of retail from car washes, McDonald's to shopping centers to massive industrial complexes. I mean, they're, they're selling a ton of stuff. And he said they've seen a massive uptick in new listings because you have a lot of people that you know, were in the market and took advantage of that and refinanced a lot of their assets if they wanted to hold them or tried to sell them. Because when debt is this cheap, you can ask a premium price for your um, property because they, you know, they're cash flowing more because the debt environment is so good. They, they have to be. And it's, it's the same thing when it gets higher, that it puts pressure on sellers expected purchase price because people are buying these properties based on the cash flow they produce. If, mm-hmm. you know, 80% of the purchase price is, um, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands more a year to borrow because of an interest rate increase, the seller is going to feel that hit. So a lot of people are listing their property right now thinking, oh, crap, I missed it. I need to sell this before it gets any worse. And the, those people were were seeing a lot of deals um, to be had with. I mean, we're seeing a lot of opportunity and we we placed a new offer on a new deal uh, yesterday. Do you think that there is a recession coming? I I wouldn't say that word. I'm kind of scared of it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> what I would say is uh, we've had so much inflation and so much money printing and so much craziness from you know COVID in 2020. I think if you look at a lot of stuff that is people are are, are freaking out how low it is. It's it's right around the point it was pre-COVID which was an all-time high. If you were in, in, in February of 2020, everything was great. It couldn't get any better. So now we're back to there. We're back to, it's great. It can't be any better. I, I feel like that's a, a relatively safe position to be in. And, and I'm a buyer of a lot right now. I, I'm seeing tons of opportunity from, from Bitcoin to stocks to, to real estate. Um, when, when people are getting scared and the market is shuddering like this, I think it's a great time to buy. And, and we are. Okay, Braden, final thought here. Final question for you. Bitcoin. What do you think about it? How do you think it uh, it impacts our world? And what do you think the future of Bitcoin is? Yeah, right, so I, I said earlier, right now, I am a, a buyer for sure. Um, you know, anything under 30,000 a Bitcoin, I just, I feel like is is tons of opportunity. And I feel like it's really easy to buy into the hype when it's going up and setting new highs and and that's when people are getting in and it, it's just, it's like they forget about it right now. And I just don't understand it. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading an article the other day um, and it was about the, the having the next having, and it was um, something in May, you know, the, the final block or something. Anyway, we're halfway to the next having of Bitcoin where mm-hmm. um, mining them will be twice as hard. And you'll have to see a lot of reinvestment back in the market and the, um, the demand probably won't change. If anything, it'll be higher and the supply will be even less. Um, so it's a fixed amount, but you know, it's, it's going to take a lot longer to, um, mine. It's going to take a lot more expensive equipment to mine and that, that's going to drive the price through the roof. So I think right now you're seeing a lot of fear and the market excluding crypto. And, and right now, crypto is just unfortunately tied to the market because when the market is doing good and people have expendable cash and, and inflation is going through the roof, it's easy to put, you know, 1% or 5% or or whatever percent of your liquid net worth into Bitcoin because everything's doing so well, you know, why not? And Bitcoin's doing so well because the market's doing so well. But, but unfortunately, when it's inverse, um, I mean, it just, it's it sucks. It's unfortunately tied to the market right now. and. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing, I mean, the, the Luna stable coin drop off. I, <laughs> I mean, it is, about that. it's terrifying, man. How crazy is that? It's absolutely insane. And that's a stable coin. So, you know, I, I think, um, I was watching a show the other day and, and this company is working with the federal reserve to like become the first regulated stable coin. So, you know, I think that could be interesting. You know, I, what company just, is that? Do you remember? I have, I have no idea. It was on, you know, CNN money talk, whatever. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so I, I think, oh, you know, I think I'm a buyer right now. I'm just being 
you know, when the market is hot, I'm, I find myself playing in, in altcoins a little bit too much. And right now I just think Bitcoin and Ethereum, you, you should, you should buy as much as you can afford to lose. You know, I've seen so much on Twitter, people talking about, um, you know, I've been playing, I've been playing in crypto for however many years now and this and that and this and that. And I'm, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist now. I'm, I'm only going to buy Bitcoin from now on. Yeah, I've heard that. I need to see like these, these market corrections. I say market corrections. It's really, uh, I think that, you know, and I, and I don't want to be, we had a guest on a couple of weeks back, uh, Matt J. Moore. And, you know, I really, I really believe in what he was saying, where as a Bitcoin maximalist myself, I can't be a toxic Bitcoin maximalist because a lot of times Bitcoin maximalists push out the crypto community and say, uh, no, you're stupid. That's stupid. You can't do that. And it's like, that's not how, how are we going to ever get everybody on uh, what we believe is the best way forward? If we say you're stupid, you're dumb. What you're doing is stupid. You can't do that. I mean, it's like, do I would I do that with my own money? No, I would. I, I'm not. I wouldn't. Right. But uh, we, we've got to we've got to talk about those things. Right. We've got to be the bridge. Right. Rather than rather than burning the bridge, we've got to build the bridge. Um, but it's funny to see when when so many uh, so many of these projects have gone to zero uh, UST Luna going uh, being being a major one that we were just talking about. And, and then people are like, oh, man, this is kind of crazy. This is this is a, actually a centralized deal. I, I Maybe I don't know about this so much, you know, and, and people jumping ship from there and going to Bitcoin, which has been kind of fun. Um Braden, it's been it's been a blast to have you on. Thank you for coming on and talking about some real estate, man. It's it's fun to, you know, we all like I said in the beginning, we we typically talk a ton about Bitcoin. We talk about the economic policy, the monetary policy uh, of what's happening in the world right now and where we've come from and and where we think we're going. Um, and real estate is something that's here. It's been here and it's going to be here. Uh, and and it's uh, great to have somebody such as yourself that's in the markets day in and day out doing this successfully, um, come on and, and speak to some of these things. So thank you so much for coming on, Braden. Um, I'm going to pop Thanks up, for having me. Uh, Thecriteriumfund.com. Go check these guys out. You guys' website is really, really slick. Um, and and I'll, let you, I'll, let you do, I'll let you do the pitch for, for the website because I know that you guys are, you can go on there and see deals. You can go on and, and connect with you guys. What, what's your what's your your elevator pitch here for for the website and for you guys as company? Yeah, so we're a real estate investment company, and we just strive to bring you know these massive commercial real estate investments. You know, five ten million dollars. Most people can't buy them by themselves, so we we fractionalize it. We create an, uh, a specific purpose entity that owns this real estate, and anybody can can join. They don't have to be an accredited investor. They do, however, have to go to our website and join our investor list because we're not allowed to advertise our offerings because we're raising money. Mm-hmm. And the SEC says you can you can send it out to people you know, but you've got to be on a list. So you've got to be on my investor list and then you will get an email when we raise funds and you can be in any and every single one of our deals. Beautiful. What, and who are the people that, uh, what, what kind of people do you, are, are typically your investors and who would you say you're looking to bring more, more on? Like what are the demographics of the people that you're wanting more of? I know that you, yeah. guys, you guys are typically not running into in, any issues finding funding, though, as, as far as I know. You know, there's there's money out there everywhere. If you're having issues finding funding, you're just looking in, in the wrong place or it's not compelling enough. It's it's hard. You know, the world with our attention span, and how easy it is to get access to information. It's like screaming in a, in a forest and you don't know if anyone can hear you. <laughs> um, but, you know, it. it we have two different buckets of investors. We have um, young people that know they need to be investing in real estate and can appreciate the compounding interest of it, you know, that, that found us and, and know us and listen to our podcast. Um, and those people are investing, you know, five to $25,000. And then the other bucket is uh, typically people, you know, 40 to 60 um, that have money either saved through traditional retirement vehicles like a 401k and IRA, which they can invest directly with us or just cash savings, or, you know, they're a doctor and, and they need, you know, uh, a retirement from somewhere, they need something paying them cash flow. And the idea that you just save a couple million dollars, and you spend, you know, a few thousand each month with inflation, the way it's going, that just doesn't work anymore. So what you need to strive to do 
is to have a couple million dollars invested. You know, you're never spending that couple of a million, but if it's invested properly, it should pay you, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a year. I mean, a couple million dollars should be able to pay off at least, at least 10% a year. So that's what we strive to get people to do is to invest in something that pays them monthly or quarterly cash flow that you can actually live off of knowing you're not spending your original seed money. And if anything, it's appreciating in value with the market and the real estate. Beautiful. Go, uh, go check those guys out down here at the criterion fund to see all that information. You mentioned it a second ago, you guys also have a podcast where you're sharing I know you're sharing the the deals that you guys are doing and, and you're kind of doing updates for investors. Um, and you're yeah. also just talking about general uh, commercial real estate investment uh, lessons and tips and tricks and all those types of things and terms. Um, and that is the, the criterion how to invest in commercial real estate podcast. Um, when did you guys start that? Where can they find it? Yeah, we're, we're 18 months in. Um, it's called How to Invest in Commercial Real Estate. You can go to How to Invest in CRE. TV, um, or it's on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. It's on YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces. Um, and yeah, we we drop a new episode every Monday noon. You said how to invest in CRE.TV, huh? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, go check out how to invest in CRE.TV to check out the podcast. It's also on all the major platforms. Um, Go follow Braden. He's uh, a real sharp guy and has obviously, uh, you know, we, referring back to that original story, seen commercial real estate from the bottom and all the way up. Braden, I appreciate you coming on, man, and sharing your story and uh, looking forward to probably having you on at some point in the future to uh, to continue talking about what's going on in the markets, what you guys are seeing. Yeah. Love it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. I will talk to you soon. Yep. What a great guest. Guys, uh, always excited to have new guests on to share new perspectives, to you know learn alongside our listeners, to learn alongside you guys. I hope you guys are enjoying the guests we've had on recently. Um, hope you guys are having a good time listening and watching. If you're watching, um, come hit us on Twitter at Nick and Griff Show. Uh, we would love to have conversations with you. Uh, we also post a lot of our clips from these podcasts on Twitter. Uh, we typically post those clips, uh, one clip a day um, from, I guess, Monday through Friday. And then we have our next episode posting that that Saturday. So we've got our clips up on Twitter. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Should we should we post those clips elsewhere? Um, I know that uh, some of these podcasts are, you know, about about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes, which I think is a a pretty good time frame. I mean, typically, whenever you're listening to podcasts, you're not just sitting down and just listening to a podcast, right? Um, I know that I myself like to listen to, you know, an hour to two hour podcasts over maybe a couple of days or maybe uh, while I'm doing other things. Uh, what do you guys think? Should should we post uh, should we post clips elsewhere where you guys can access those a little bit easier? Let us know. Uh, shoot us a, shoot us a DM on Twitter or. If you got our personal number, shoot us a text or give us a call and let us know. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening to another episode of the Nick and Griff show. And uh, I'm excited to have Griff on next week. Hey, Griff also finally got a computer. That is huge. He's been filming on his podcast. If you have not been able to tell, his green screen has not worked. <laughs> He's just literally had a green screen in the background with no background on the green screen. So this guy got a computer. I'm excited to be back on with him next week. Um, I hope he's uh, having a good weekend so far. Some good business conversations at Phoenix. Um, so shout out to my boy. I hope he's doing well. And uh, hey, we will see you guys next week.